Kenneth Church say praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand clap. Let's make our webcast audience feel welcome, the church in the balcony. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today on this uh, Sunday, uh, February, just about halfway done. Valentine's Day coming up. All you men got to buy your wife flowers and candy and write poetry. I write poetry to my wife every year. And uh, so I, I, I don't know if she keeps them or not, but I write them. And uh, so we're, we're glad that you're here this morning. We want to remember coming up this weekend is KYC. So keep that in mind. And all of you that's going, you need to get with Brother Caleb DeBarge. And you need to make sure that everything is ready and what time the van's leaving, if you're riding a van, uh, where to meet everybody if you're going to meet down there. So keep that in mind. Today is Red Sunday. And if you wore red, well, you get your name in a drawing. I missed out, didn't I? Uh, you get your name in a drawing for a gift basket, and you get to enjoy refreshments after service if you want to stick around for that. Also, as we said, KYC, Northeast Christian Church, this weekend. And that's going to be Brother Josh Carson, who is going to be the guest speaker. Also, we're going to have our Section 3 conference, uh, 22nd and 23rd. That is a meeting uh, for the Section 3 to just kind of get together and talk about the future and see what the vision's going to be for this area. Also, Heart-Themed Kids Gourmet Dinners coming up on Saturday, February the 24th, 2 p.m. Uh, must RSVP today is the last day, so keep that in mind. Also, the men's meeting, it's usually on the first Monday of the month, but Sister uh, Tennille has to have some surgery, so we are going to have it March the 11th, which is the second Monday, so keep that in mind, and that'll be at 6 p.m. And Section 3 hyphen and Section 3 rally is going to be a combination coming up March the 29th, and that is going to be uh, at... Uh, Christian Faith Outreach, Brother Easterling is the pastor, and that's in Ashland, Kentucky, 7.30 p.m. Brother Aaron Bounds is going to be the guest speaker, so Brother Bounds is a, a great uh, speaker, West Virginia guy, down to earth, just as down to earth as you'll ever meet, but uh, let's be in much prayer for that. Also, we have several prayer requests on our prayer list that we want to continue to remember and ask the Lord to touch in a mighty way. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me. We're going to study in the Word of the Lord in the book of John, uh, John chapter 6, and we will begin with verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were, and, and look at that, disease. So uh, he did great miracles, and that's why they followed him. People will follow uh, great miracles, supernatural, uh, out of the ordinary. That's why we can't have ordinary church. we got to have a move of the Holy Ghost, and people will come. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted, lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. How many knows Jesus always knows what he's going to do? He, he never has to have, have anybody tell him what to do. He knows what he's going to do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may uh, take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he saith unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And when they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And I want to stop right there because uh, Jesus literally fed a city with a small brown bag lunch. Now, how many's ever had a brown bag lunch? Maybe going to school, you had a brown bag lunch. Maybe going to work, we all packed dinner buckets. That's our brown bag lunch. And uh, so Jesus took that brown bag lunch, that small sack of lunch, and fed all these people. And that, that was miracle enough. But then to take up 12 basketfuls of fragments, leftovers, I'm not a leftover guy, but I believe I like the leftovers that come from heaven. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we study today, feeding a city with a sack lunch. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we come before your presence. We thank you. We give you honor. We give you praise. Lord, thank you for allowing us to see what you did among so many that you have provided for them and there was more than enough. And Lord, we know that you are the God of more than enough. That whenever we have needs, you supply those needs and there's extra left over. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. Help us today not only to receive this uh, teaching but there'll be fragments left over that we can gather up and take to our workplace our schools our community and others can be partakers of the great things you have given us and lord we're going to give you the praise in jesus mighty name amen amen let's give the lord another hand clap and you may be seated the truth about the situation was that there was a hunger and there was a gathering. And whenever there's a gathering that people are hungry, whether it is natural or whether it is spiritual, there needs to be the wisdom to know how to feed the multitudes. I think today that churches need to understand there's a hungry world out there.
There's a hungry world that is hungry for the things of God even though they don't know that's what they're hungering for because of the void in their life. They begin to try to fill it with all of the drinking and drugs and relationships and all other things. Uh, They try to fill it with all sorts of entertainment and things that just take up time. And you know, you'll never get that longing in your heart filled by just taking up time. That's why when we come to the house of the Lord, we're not just taking up time because we understand if that's all we're doing, we'll never feel the longing in our soul. So we have to have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. And the Bible says if we have that, then we will be filled. I believe that as we look at this particular story, we find that Jesus feeds five thousand people and he feeds them with just a small brown bag lunch the bible says that this lunch was uh you know uh, contained uh, five loaves and and a couple of fish if you will we began to see that when Jesus lifted up his eyes he he just saw this multitude that was destitute Oh, if we could be with a spiritual eye this morning, we could open up our eyes and we could see communities full of people that are destitute and hungry and lost. People that need Jesus more than they need their next meal. And we find that there's something about this story that lets us know that we have to be like Jesus and say, I see a need in our community. I see a need need in our family. I see a need at school or work or wherever you uh, find yourself. There is always a need. People go to restaurants because they're hungry. People don't go to restaurants and sit down in a booth and say, the waitress come along and say, well, what can I get for you? Nothing. I'm not hungry. Well, what are you doing here? I just decided to come sit, you know. Some, some people show up and, and they may not eat as much as others, but everybody that shows up at a restaurant is hungry. And everybody that shows up at church is hungry for something. And we need to understand that when people show up, we have got to be ready to feed them. We have got to be ready to ask the Lord to multiply whatever is presented, whether it's a lesson, a text, or whether it is a sermon, and ask the Lord to help it to be multiplied. And so we find that this little lad, all he had was five barley loaves and two small fish, but it was enough. The Lord doesn't need our abundance to do an abundant thing. The Lord is just looking for somebody who says, this is all I got. It's just me again, Lord. I got a prayer that needs an answer. It's just me again. And you see, sometimes when we come to the king, I I was just uh, watching and saw a tweet come across my phone. And uh, I thought it was interesting because, uh, you know, the big rage of the day, of course, today being Super Sundays, you know, Super Bowl and all that. But that's not the big, uh, you know, name and rage of all the day. It's whether or not Taylor Swift, a singer, is going to be there because she is dating Kelsey, um, I I guess, uh, whatever his first name is. And uh, 
His last name's Kelsey, and she's dating him. And so this is the big news. And, and what he tweeted out, which come across my phone, was uh, what do you buy someone who has all the money they'll ever need? A billionaire. What do you buy a billionaire for Valentine's Day? And I thought that was interesting because we could look at it in this sense. What can we give the Lord that he needs? What can we give him that he needs? He doesn't need the cattle of a thousand hills. He has that. He doesn't need the gold and the silver. He already owns that. He doesn't need land. He, he created land. He created land. I heard just uh, the other day someone talking about people crossing Jordan as they leave this world and go to the other side. And uh, people rejoice because they know that, that uh, the God they serve owns both sides of Jordan. You see, that's a good saying right there. But I believe that sometimes we need to understand that what do you give unto the Lord that he needs? He owns it all. He's more than a billionaire. He's more than, than uh, you know, somebody that just has a lot of land or real estate or something like that. He owns it all. He owns the heaven. He owns the earth. He owns all that is in the earth. It all belongs to the Lord. So what can we give him that he would be pleased with? And there's only a, a few things that we could mention that the Lord is looking for Every time we gather or every time we open our eyes. Number one, we got to give him ourself. Right? We got to give him ourself. He wants you. It's not his will that any should perish. So he's not looking for you to be lost. He's looking for you to serve him. So that's number one. The next thing he loves is praise and worship. And so that's the only thing we can give him. I can give $5 in offering. That don't impress the Lord. I can give, uh, you know, $50 for a mission a trip. That don't impress the Lord. But what does impress the Lord is when I begin to lift my hands and I just begin to praise Him and to worship Him. That impresses the Lord. I want to give Him what he is looking for. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have got to learn how to do that in our day. The world we're living in doesn't know how to worship the Lord. They have church, they gather for church, they sing, they go through the motions, but they don't really know how to give the Lord what he's desiring. And the thing is, when we show up and, and sit on a pew, we have got to say, I'm going to give the Lord what he desires from me. I'm going to give him what he's looking for. So I am not going to just go through a service. I'm going to give him. And, and if I could say this without any of the um, uh, taking away from the, the, the mightiness of the Lord or, or any, if I could just say this, if the Lord would allow me, the Lord's hungry for your praise. The Lord is hungry for your worship. He's hungry for your response to his word. And if we can look at it in that way, we will be like Jesus here and we'll say, you know what? 
I'm going to feed the multitude. And how can I feed a multitude? I, I don't have no money. I don't even have a small boy's lunch. I have to buy my lunch after a while sometime. You know, I, I can order from Giovanni's and have it ready to go pick up. But it's just going to be a, uh, they hand it to you in a brown bag. You know what? But if I looked in that bag and I said, well, you know what? There's 5,000 people sitting beside the road out here. I'm gonna, I think I'll take my lunch and go feed them. You know what? I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to either have a lot of faith or I'm just going through the motions and one or two or three or four is going to have a bite to eat. But Jesus didn't want just one or two to feast. He wanted everybody. That's why when we come to church, he's not satisfied with just one being blessed. Just one feeling his presence. Just one uh, feeling the power of the Holy Ghost. He wants everybody. The promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What a wonderful thing to understand that if we can give the Lord what he wants, we will come to church with praise and worship, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto him. It's going to be a great time to gather together in the presence of the Lord. And so we find that Jesus tested his disciples. Jesus knew what he would do. He already knew, I'm going to take this boy's lunch. He already knew the boy had the lunch. You know, he didn't have to have the disciples tell him. The Lord knows everything about us. He knows whether we're faithful, unfaithful, whether we're good, bad. He knows whether we study his word or just read his word. He knows all about us. So we can't tell him anything that he doesn't already know. So he already knew the boy had the lunch. He already knew that there was going to be the answer given, uh, you know, when all of a sudden, uh, you know, he asked and he does this to prove him for he himself knew what he would do. And he said, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And you see, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, there's a lad here and has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what's that? You know, we could put it in East Kentucky vernacular, and we could say, you know, all we got right here is a few loaves of bread, couple of fish, we might feed about maybe five to ten people. But what, what are we going to do about the rest of the hungry? What are we going to do about the rest? And we might say, it just ain't enough. You know, East Kentucky vernacular, it just ain't enough. I don't care what we do, it just ain't enough. And uh, Jesus began to tell them, just go ahead and make everybody sit down. Because if you're going to receive something from the Lord, you have to be in a position to receive. And so you have to be focused, right? I'm pretty sure that, that when the disciples is out there, you know, going through the crowd saying, everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. And some of them probably was thinking, well, yeah, I'm tired. Okay, I'll sit. So they started sitting down. And got everybody seated. You know what they're doing then? They're watching. What's going to happen now? They told us to sit down. So now what's he doing? And they see the disciples going back to Jesus. After telling everybody to sit down. The disciples go back to Jesus. And Jesus begins to take the loaves. And he, and he blesses it. And then he breaks it. And he keeps giving to the disciples. 
and the disciples to the people. Can you imagine how many trips does it take? I didn't do my math before service. But how many trips does it take, you know, the disciples to take this lunch to 5,000 people? It's a lot of trips, ain't it? That's a lot of trips. You know, sometimes we, we're satisfied with just one trip to a hospital to visit somebody, one trip to invite somebody to church, one trip to go see a friend. Um, we should not be satisfied with just one trip. The disciples had to keep going back and back. And as soon as they gave the first you know, the bread, and, and then, of course, he did the fish the same way. So uh, I, don't, I don't know the way I read it, and, you know, I guess the way that uh, we could look at it. Jesus takes the loaves in verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Now, I don't know if it was bread first, then fish, or if it was both. But the way I read it, it's like bread first, then the fish. You know why the bread's first? Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He's trying to show them something natural, teach them something spiritual, that when you're hungry, it's not for entertainment. It's not for relationships. It's not for those things. It's for the bread of life. And I'm so glad that he sees all of us sitting hungry and he says, I'll give you what you have need of. I'll supply every need according to my riches and glory. I'm going to come where you are and I'm going to bless you with what you have need of. I think that when we see this, I think the illustration of the bread first is to let you know Jesus has to be first in everything. First seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. I think that if we look at this illustration, and all this time he's breaking the bread, given to disciples, disciples to the people. Now, whether you believe he gave it to them all at once as a meal, or whether you believe that he took all the bread to 5,000 people, and then went back and started again with the fish. Ever how you see and read that, you got to understand the main thing is they were fed with a small boy's lunch. They were fed everyone that would. You know, I think that when it says, I mean, how many likes fish here? How many likes fish? How many don't like fish? That's probably an easier. Yeah, that's me. I don't like, I eat, it's weird. I'm just a little weird. I eat lobster tails. I'll eat shrimp, um, but I don't eat fish. I will eat fresh caught bass fried immediately. I will eat that. I love it. I, I've got a friend of mine in Tennessee, and every time I go down there, they used to give me a cooler of it. Already filleted, deboned, there ain't no bones in it. And all you got to do is batter fry, batter fry. And it's good stuff. But you know what? I don't like fish. And I think it all came when I was about probably... 10 or 11 years old, I ate some fish and uh, got sick. And uh, the fish didn't make me sick, but because I ate fish, and then when you get sick, you know how it works. 
it, it finds its way out, and it's not as, it's a little more tangier, and it's different, ain't it, when, it, when, when you get rid of it. So uh, I, I was sick for about three days, just throwing up and nauseated and just, oh. Uh, and, and somebody could mention fish, and I would just like, oh, you know, I just, I didn't want to hear no, about no fish. I think that's the reason I don't like fish, because fish is good. And actually, fish is good for you. And if you ate more fish, you might not have high blood pressure and, you know, all sorts of other stuff going on. But I don't like fish. I eat lobster tails all day long. It's just weird. I guess you can put garlic butter and, and uh, lemon juice on anything and make it taste good. But we find something interesting that as they are being fed, they were all filled. And then Jesus said to his disciples, your work is not done. You've got to go back out there and gather up all the fragments. Now, to me, that's three trips uh, or three groups of trips, I should say, that the disciples went out among the crowd. Three groups of trips. Take the bread, take the fish, pick up the fragments. They picked up 12 basketful, and it says filled, not just little baskets, but filled with uh, the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Notice it was only barley loaves, fragments, bread fragments. Didn't say anything about fish, did it? Didn't say one word about fish. It just says fragments of the five barley loaves. Again, I point us back to Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. And everything we receive they might be fragments of this service. They might be fragments of a revival. They might be fragments of, of a prayer meeting that you had with the Lord. And those fragments you're picking up and you're taking to other areas of your life. To your family, your co-workers, uh, your, your people you go to school with, college with. People that you meet every day in the community. You're taking some fragments of bread. Bread. I thought it was interesting that it's just bread fragments. You know, I, I'm amazed many times by the Word of God. As many times as you read it, uh, you can't read it from Genesis Revelation and say, Well, I know it all. No, you, you're going to read it the rest of your life, and still there's going to be things that's going to jump out at you and say, Wow, I, I didn't see it that way before. Bread. Bread were the, was the fragments. Then those men which had seen the miracle that Jesus did said, This is of a truth, the, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. They wanted to make him a king just because they got fed with bread, fed with fish. They said, Let's make him a king. Well, shouldn't we want to make him King of kings and Lord of lords. Shouldn't we want to do that? He wasn't going to do that on this earth. He was going to let us know that that is something future coming. 
That he, we can call him that now because he is. He's never lost a, a battle. He is king of all kings. He's lord of all lords. So there's nobody greater, nobody larger, nobody bigger, nobody mightier. He is everything. He's almighty. That means there's no more mighty left. If I was to tear up a little bit of mighty and I, and I tore up and I give... Brother Larry, a piece of mighty, and I give Brother Jerry a piece of mighty, and I give Sister Amazing Gracie a piece of mighty. Everybody has a piece of mighty. But if I say, nope, this is all it is, then nobody has, has no more. You can't be that. You can't be that. That's why the Lord looks at us when he says, I am the Almighty. It means there's nobody greater than him, nobody mightier than him. That excites me because I know that there's a lot of powerful people in the world, but those people don't even stand a chance against our Lord. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, all of the merchants and all the business people and all the people that followed the false prophet and all the people that followed the, the uh, beast and all his kingdom and all of that, they were all defeated and slaughtered when the Lord comes back with his saints and the Lord just destroys them the Bible says that there's a, a sword that proceedeth out of his mouth and we, we understand that's the word of God we understand that all it takes is for him to speak and breath leaves bodies he can speak mountains move he can speak problem solved wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of faith that we have a problem going on and we're bothered with it. And we just say, wait a minute, I don't have to be bothered with this problem. I'm going to speak to that problem. Be thou removed and it'll be removed. That's what he said to do to the mountain. He didn't say, look at the mountain and admire the mountain. He said, speak. We got to learn how to speak the word. The word will put demons to flight. The word will put sickness away. The word, it's the word. It's the Word. Everything is about the power of the Word. Because in the beginning was the Word. Right? Word's with God and Word was God. We find that all he has to do is speak. Even with the blast of his nostrils, all he has to do is exhale. And he can remove mountains. You see, that's how powerful your God is. My God is. That's why... There, there ought not be uh, anybody that thinks for a moment that they can separate you from the love of Christ. Because if you really are serving God in the manner that you should be, you're not worried about nothing else in this world. i got to get to heaven. i got to make it to that city. I've got to hear him say, well done. I know who puts food on my table. I know who puts money in my billfold. I know who does it all. Amen? That's why I'm not going to be separated. I'm not going to let some foolish person in the world talk me into walking away from God. Why would I want to? Why would I want to when he's been nothing but good to me? And he's provided for you and me. So we find that all of these men, they wanted to make him a king. So what did Jesus do? He said, well, I know they're going to try this, but i got to go to the mountain. i got to get away from here because it's not, this earth is not going to be my kingdom. 
You see, they had a lot of problem with that because they was used to the Roman soldiers and the emperors and the rulers of Rome and all that. So when somebody rose into power, all the people supported that kingdom. And, and that's, if you read history, we have a lot of history that we can read about kingdoms and, and overthrowing governments and different things. Uh, the people thought if we just, you know, support him and promote him, we can make him king. And Jesus, no, this ain't happening. I got to get to the mountain. I, I think that sometimes when we read the word of God, we see how that uh, many times they looked at Jesus and they wanted him to set up a kingdom. They wanted him to, to put Rome in its place. He's kind of like us today. We're kind of like the disciples and the people in Jesus' day. We want to see our enemy in the ditch when we go home. I know nobody wants to see that. You want to see your enemy's house burn. You want to see your enemy not have any money. You want to see your enemy suffering. Because here's what we say. They're getting theirs. Let me tell you, if we got ours... We wouldn't even be here right now. The Lord's mercy and grace. You're saved by grace. His mercy is extended to you. But looking at this, time and time again, they wanted to make him a king upon this earth. And he would tell them, my kingdom is not of this world. He would tell those that arrested him, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not a threat to your kingdom I'm not a threat to your governorship. I'm not a threat to that because my kingdom is not here. You see, when Pilate was looking at him and others was looking at him, and, and he would just simply tell them, you know, y'all trying to arrest me and, and convict me and try me because you think I'm a threat to your kingdom and your playhouse. That's my version of it. But you know what? Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world, or else my disciples would fight. The people would rise up. You wouldn't stand a chance if, if I really wanted to set my kingdom up down here. You see, I, I've never understood why churches get jealous of each other and pastors get all bent out of shape with each other. You know, if a church is having revival, you ought to just clap your hands and say, yes, I'm glad they're having revival. But if a church is, is uh, you know, the church you attend is, is struggling, you, you should pray, Lord, send us revival. You send it to another place, another city, another state, send us revival. And uh, if we would do that, we could understand that the Lord holds all of it in his hands. So all we got to do as his disciples today is simply ask and we can receive. Knock and it will be open. Seek and we can find. So Jesus uh, knew that they was wanting to make him a king. And he told the people many times, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not a threat to you. I'm a threat to hell. I'm a threat to sin. We got to quit fighting among ourselves. You got to quit fighting with people, uh, you know, that, that are out here in the world. Our fight's not with people. We're trying to win people. 
We're trying to get people to come to church. We're trying to get people saved. We're trying to get people to an altar. And if we fight with them and and argue with them, we ain't never going to win them. So we have to try to win them. But here's, here's the deal. That, you know, we're not a threat to them. We're not trying to to be uh, more than they are so they'll be less than we are. The the thing is, we're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to win souls to the kingdom. We're trying to win people to Jesus. So we're not a threat to anything in this world. We ought to be reminded we're a threat to hell. Hell right now has a liberty... From the, from the White House to other people's houses. But I want you to know that he don't have the liberty in the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church. The church is you. The church is not the building. The building can burn, but you're still the church. People can find themselves in different states and cities and areas, but it's still one church. Not many churches. One church. All these churches that says they want to be a church and they don't want to follow the teaching of Jesus, they're just gathering. They're not the church. They're just gathering. But we got to be the church, right? we got to be the church. So I think it's interesting that Jesus took this small boy's lunch. Just an old, little, meaty, mediocre, meager small lunch that most of us would eat and still go to the refrigerator and look and say, I'm still hungry. How many's ever done that? I ate, a, I ate two hamburgers and french fries yesterday that my wife cooked, and uh, I found myself at the cabinet looking for something else after I'd eat all that. 5,000, really over 5,000, gathered on the mountainside to hear what Jesus would say and see what he would do. Women, wives, sisters, mothers, daughters, and children all came for the words of Jesus. What's he going to do? Remember, this multitude was following Jesus. And a lot of times they followed Jesus because they saw miracles. And that's why I think a church that is on fire A church that has the Spirit moving doesn't have to send out flyers in the mail. Doesn't have to get at the intersection and tell people we're having church. Come on up to church. People are drawn where the move of the Lord is. That's why people follow Jesus. They knew that when Jesus was in town, something big was going to happen. Oh, I'd like to preach that sometime. When Jesus is in town, something big is going to happen. They knew that there was going to be miracles. They knew that lame was going to get up and walk. They knew that blinded eyes would see. They knew that even a small lunch was going to be multiplied to feed the thousands. We find something interesting. This group of people were following Jesus way before they knew they was going to get a lunch. In fact, that's why Jesus had compassion on them. He looks and he said, they've been with us all this time. They ain't eat nothing. They, they've been listening. When's the last time you listened to the word being preached or taught 
and you didn't worry about your pizza after service? When's the last time that the word touched you so much that you wasn't worried about what you was going to do after service? These people didn't even want to go home. They didn't even want to go home. They were so mesmerized by the word of God. They listened to Jesus. They watched him. He was not doing all these miracles at this point in time. He was simply teaching them. I don't know what he was teaching them. But I do know that whatever Jesus teaches is important. And that's why I look at his word and I say uh, what, what he told basically all of us. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we find something interesting. We find that these thousands of people, over 5,000 people, were listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus. And Jesus looked around and was talking to his disciples. Maybe it was intermission. Maybe they took a little break in between Sunday school and church. And they got together and, and Jesus said, you know, these, these people's hungry. They've been here all this time. And uh, uh, what can we give them? And that's when the conversation opened up. Well, they ain't enough money. We're preachers. There ain't enough money to feed all these people. And uh, then they said, well, here's a small boy's lunch. I don't even know how they came about that. And, and it's, it would be interesting. Maybe that's one of the questions we can ask Jesus when we get to heaven. It'd be interesting to know if the young boy said, I overheard you all talking about wanting to feed. I want to be given my lunch. I want to sacrifice my lunch. That would be a great story, wouldn't it? Another great story would be that they, the disciples just happened to see a little boy with a brown bag in his hand and say, son, would you like to donate that to the ministry? It's all I got. Would you like to donate it to the ministry? If I don't eat this, I ain't going to eat today. You want to donate that to the ministry? Sure. And then he ate also. You see, we'll never outgive God. I tell people all the time when we take up offerings, give as the Lord blesses you. You'll never outgive God, but try. <laughs> try. But you know what? The Lord was going to feed everybody. Nobody was going home hungry that day. Nobody was going home hungry. If anybody left before they all sat down, they went home hungry. But if they all sat down and they all were fed with this small boy's lunch. Again, I don't know how the lunch came into play other than the disciples simply saying, here's a lad with a small bag lunch. Just a small bag. And that was the, the beginning of this great miracle. One disciple said, well, 200 penny worth is not a, sufficient for them, for every one of them to eat a little. You see, all of them decided, there's just no way we can feed this multitude. If we start looking at numbers, and here's, here's the thing that sometimes discourages a lot of people. They say, how can I win somebody in a company I work for that's got 5,000 people or a 
200 people or 300 people? How can I win somebody I worked with? It, it, it almost, how am I going to win, you know, pastor keeps saying, everybody win one, then we'll double. Win two, win three, you know, you get, you get all that increase. But, but if we look at it and say, I've seen people, this is so funny because all of us that serve the Lord know this. I've seen people get up from the altar after repenting, Praise God this year, I'm going to win me about 25 people to the Lord. And at the end of the year, I say, how many did you win to the Lord? None. Because you know why? If we look at a number, it is discouraging. That's why you work on one. You just pick you one person. The men's group's been talking about this for the past few uh, meetings that we, we want to get a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with somebody. Just pick somebody. Don't, don't try to pick a whole family or a whole group at work and think you're going to win everybody on the job or win everybody at school or win everybody in the community. Just say, I'm going to pick me one and work on that one. And that's how you win people to Jesus. And so if we're not careful, we will start looking at the job as too big. Who am I that I would win anybody to Jesus? That little boy probably thought, who am I with this little bag lunch? You know, I don't know if little Johnny, that wasn't his name. I don't know if little Johnny, when he got ready to leave home, his mama said, here, here little Johnny, you're going to need this today. But you know what? I believe that whole family got blessed because somebody sacrificed their lunch. Fasting and prayer always brings the power of God. Amen. Amen. I, I challenge you, push back a meal. I challenge you, push back more than one. And I guarantee that the Lord will show up. Many things I know right now came through prayer and fasting. It didn't come because I heard somebody preach it. I tell you what, our young ministers have got to get away from this. Man, I heard this great preacher, and Lee Stone King preached this, and that and preached that, and that and preached that. Man, I heard this, and I'm going to preach that someday. I've had a preacher come up to me. Uh, uh, he was an elderly pastor. He come to me and said, you care if I preach that sometime? I said, no, I don't care. I don't own the copyrights to it. It's the Word of God. I, I don't care what you do with it. But you see, sometimes if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in such a way that we look at the task and we say, it's just too much for me. I'm not that type of person. I can't talk to people. Well, can you talk to Jesus? If you can talk to Jesus, you can talk to people. Because you do it the same way. Somebody says, oh, how do you pray, Pastor? Tell me how you pray. I said, am I talking to you right now? Yeah. I said, that's the way you talk to Jesus. Tell Jesus you're having a bad day. You don't have to pray in this manner. Oh, Lord, my God, thou artest the greatest goddess that thou ever wasest. I've heard people pray like that, and I'm thinking, come on, man. Tell Jesus in your own words what you need. We ain't in, in the, you know, 1600s. We're in 2024. 
I ain't met nobody that says, how wasest thou today, pastor? How you doing? So when I talk to Jesus, I don't say thou and thy. That's English, old English way of expression. I say, Lord, I want to do something great for you today. Lord, I'm going to praise you today because I know you're going to provide everything I need. I talk to him in my own way. And he answers. And he hears. Do I get everything I want? No, it's like life. Right? Anybody here ever get everything you wanted? I'm sure all of us say no. I wanted this for Christmas when I was 12, but I didn't get it. You see, sometimes we don't get everything we want. But the Lord gives us what we need. So we find that, that Jesus began to just let the disciples start crunching the numbers. How many is here? And let's feed them. And they said, we can't do that. You know, we ain't got enough money. Uh, there's, there's nothing here but... But just this one lad right here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. And uh, I'd like to think that, that everything that happened that day was in the will of God. The people followed Jesus till they were starved out. That's the will of God. The little boy with the lunch, his mama, putting it together for him. So, you know, I don't know if he said, I'm going to go out and... Play, or I'm going to go watch what's happening with Jesus. And his mama said, here, you're going to need this today. How did that mama know he needed that little lunch? Why didn't she look at him like most mamas and say, okay, but you better be back by 11 o'clock. We're having lunch. That's what my mama used to say. I say, mama, I want to go out and play. Well, you can go out and play, but you better be back in here at 11 o'clock. You see, sometimes we, we forget how God has everything in arrangement for the miracle to take place. That's why our miracle, our need, whatever we go through and, and have need of, the Lord's already got it in the working. He's already got it in the working. We don't have to worry about the Lord fixing something for us. I'm going to talk a little bit about that after a while. We don't have to worry about the Lord fixing something for us uh, and, and worry, can he do it? How many knows he can do it? He can do it. He can do it. <laughs> he can do it. Jesus knew what he was going to do. They took this small lad's lunch and did a miraculous thing with it. The lad just literally was available the Lord's not always looking for ability he's looking for availability you say I can't preach neither could I I can't play an instrument neither could I and some people would say you still can't <laughs> you might say I can't teach Sunday school neither could I you might say, I can't, I can't witness to nobody. Neither could I. But after the Holy Ghost came, you know what? You got power to witness. You know what born again means? Who you was ain't who you are. 
So you may have been shy in the world, but you can't be shy once you got the Holy Ghost. I've never seen anybody get the Holy Ghost and so, hallelujah. They get their hair messed up. They might have snot running down both nostrils. I ain't never seen nobody. Thank you, Jesus. No, they they on the move. Because when the Holy Ghost comes, the Bible says that people thought they was drunk. They looked in the upper room and they said, Hey, that ain't nothing but a bunch of drunks up there. Look at them church folks up there all drunk. Peter hears it. He comes out. He says, these ain't drunk as you suppose. This ain't what you think it is. You see, when the Lord gets on us, we'll act different. You you won't come to the Lord and get up and say, oh, I feel so much better now. And go to your seat. You're going to have an experience. And it's going to shake you. Bible says stammering lips and another tongue going to shake you it's going it you're going you're going to start all of a sudden you're going to be in a realm you ain't never been in and you're going to find that the lord is starting to do things in your life that's changing you forever and when you're shy and you get the holy ghost now you want to tell everybody about jesus right i don't believe nobody gets holy ghost and goes home and sits down and says can't talk to my husband about Jesus. I can't talk to my wife about Jesus. I can't talk to my children about Jesus. Well, you better get back to the altar because you didn't get the Holy Ghost. People don't like to hear those things, but it's a fact. The multitude's response was, we're going to make him a king. If we would ever respond to Jesus like a hungry multitude did, I'm going to make him king of my life. I'm going to make him Lord of my life. I'm going to make him a throne in my heart and say, Here, Lord, right here's where I want you to rule and reign. Guide my speech, guide my thoughts, guide my eyes, guide my actions. I want you to be king. The young lad was available for the need and the moment to have a miracle. I'm going to blow some of y'all away right now. You are the vessel that the Lord wants to do a miracle through. Not me, Pastor. You missed that one. No, I'm telling you, a small boy's lunch, it may be your testimony that lets revival break out. It may be your song. That lets somebody be touched. It may be something that you just simply do by telling somebody that you love them. Changes everything. There's a song that says, Jesus changes everything. He does. Young boy was available. Are we available to Jesus? Well, pastor, I would, but I just got this going on, and I just, I just can't be there. Well, you're not available. You know, if I was to call a, a, a church cleaning, 
And uh, some of y'all work that day and say, I can't be there, Pastor. I got to work. Well, you're not available, right? And that happens, right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm one of these people that think if you're on your deathbed and you got an IV in your arm, I'm going to come over and pull the IV out, wheel you out, <laughs> make you come to church and work. Everybody knows there's things that happen in life. And we can't be at certain things and certain events and all that. But we have to make ourselves available. It's that simple. If the young boy had not been available, the lunch would not have been there. So you're saying Jesus couldn't have done the miracle? Jesus could have made fish out of thin air. He would have probably directed his disciples to go and catch some. Say, cast on the right side. So we see that that's something that if we're not careful, we will think that the, the task is just too much. But just make yourself available. See what the Lord will do with you if you'll just make yourself available. I, I'm thinking that sometimes the, the multitude and, and the response and all the things that happened that day, we begin to see it unfold because a young boy made himself available and was willing have you ever tried to get something from a young boy? Have you ever tried to get a passy from a baby? <laughs> it ain't giving it up, right? I look at all these little babies and I say, give me that passy. I'm my passy, you know. And I'm pretty sure if, if some uh, kid had an iPad and they was, you know, going to town on it and I walked up and I said, let me have that iPad. <laughs> no, my iPad. That little boy had been taught that when ministry asks, you respond. That little boy had been taught, if you're doing something around Jesus, make yourself available. That little boy was willing to sacrifice his lunch. I like that because sometimes it's hard for us to sacrifice things we want to not give up. We want to hold on to. It, it could be anything that I could start naming off a list of stuff that you hold on to and I hold on to. But I'm so glad the Lord is willing to take what little we have, even if it's just a little praise, a little worship, and he, he literally starts moving in the service. That's why we can't, you know, come to church and sit and just uh, expect the Lord to move. We've, we've got to start asking the Lord, here I am, I'm available, Lord. What do you want me to do? As we close today, as we close today, I will worship Jesus for who he is, not just for what he does. If he never feeds me, I'm going to worship him. He don't have to supply for me to respond. Because, because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I love you because of who you are.
That's why I love the Lord. Because of who He is. Not what He does for me. That's a bonus. That's a bonus. That's like going to work and the boss look at you and say, here's your extra $1,000 as a bonus check. Woo, come on now. <laughs> we'd all talk about that, wouldn't we? we? We'd all be saying, wow, man, look at that bonus. Well, everything we get from Jesus is a bonus. He's just looking for somebody to say, I'm available. Are you available to Jesus today? If you are, then I want you to give the Lord a hand clap and let the Lord know you're available. Many enjoyed that this morning. The bread of life, amen. I want to love him. I want to worship him. And I want to serve him just because of who he is, not because of things he does. The world will love you for what you give them, won't they? Yeah, they'll, they'll love you if you treat them good, but that's not, that's not agape love, amen. Enjoyed that this morning. Let's give the Lord and Brother McKinney another hand clap. Good word this morning. They come in from the back. How many birthdays or anniversaries do we have? Anybody getting maybe a little older? I know two coming up in a couple weeks anyway.
I'll give them another big, big hand clap. Amen. If you've got any sowing seeds you'd like to give to a child, sow unto the Lord. JJ's always ready. <laughs> good job, good job, man. Good job. You got some more? Yeah, there you go. Money from everywhere, ain't it? You got money in every pocket. Is that all? <laughs> Let's give them all a hand clap. Amen. Thankful for these children. Amen. Before we uh, transition, Brother Caleb's going to come. He's and Brother Caleb's going to come. He's got some announcements and things he wants to do. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Now, I said praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, today, we want to welcome you to our Red Sunday. Uh, we appreciate everyone that participated. As you know, if you wore red, then your name was put in for a drawing to be able to receive this lovely gift basket. I just had Pastor not long ago pull a name for us, so if you think that it's rigged, keep it to yourself. I don't want to hear it. Uh, but as Pastor pulled the name, I had him check it, and then I checked it myself. It is Gage Hurley. Brother Gage. I will keep this up here with me, uh, so you don't know what's in this, right? case anything goes missing. Okay. Let's give Brother Gage a, a hand clap. So happy for him. But before we move on, I was asked and, and I'm honored to be able to present our pastor and first lady with just a small uh, token of appreciation from the Sunday School Department for all that you do for the support that you give. So can we give them a hand clap as we present them with a small token? That is a way to your heart, isn't it? At this time, let's give the Lord a hand clap as I turn it back over to Brother. Amen. I believe Sister McKinney's already got his heart, don't you? Amen. Amen. Thank God for them. Let's give them another hand clap. I thank God for our, our pastor and our first lady. Amen. As we get ready to transition, how many likes the word? Amen. Do you seek after the word? Amen. I love the word. Amen. Psalms 21 and 1 says, The king shall joy in the strength, in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. How many is glad for salvation today? Amen. How many is glad that he chose your name? Verse 2 says, Thou hast given him his heart's desire. The question is, I was thinking about this this morning. I had another, another verse to go with. But as Brother McKinney was speaking, I was thinking, what is your heart's desire? There's many scriptures as I started going through the Bible. Whatsoever you shall ask, it shall be given. And you shall receive. Amen. There's many scriptures that speaks to that. Seek and you shall find. 
Hunger and thirst and you shall be filled. But I've got one question for you today. What is your heart's desire? You can go outside those doors and if you have a little bit of ambition and a little bit of drive, you can attain about anything. But when we come into, into these doors right here, into this place of worship, what is your heart's desire? I'm going to tell you what my heart's desire is. It's not the things of the world. It's not the riches of the world. But I want to be pleasing unto him. Amen. I want to worship him. I want to lift up his name. Like Brother McKinney was teaching this morning. Amen. Sister Tennille, not just what he does for me. Amen. Because he saved me. Amen. But for who he is in my life. Amen. Are you going to bring him an offering of worship today and praise? Let's praise him. As we sing, y'all gonna sing with us. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll praise in the valley, praise on the mountain.
currently on the prayer list, been put on just this morning. Uh, all of you in the sanctuary that have a prayer uh, that needs an answer, could you just raise your hand? Amen. The Lord sees that. He knows what that represents. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, we come before your presence. We thank you for this opportunity that you have blessed us, Lord, to come together to cast our care upon you. I pray, Lord, that you would let your healing virtue begin to flow. Let it flow like a river through this sanctuary. Let souls be made whole. Let people leave here different than they came. Let them be rejoicing in what you have done for them. Lord, I pray that you would watch over all of those on the webcast. I pray that you would watch over all of those on the prayer list. Lord, I pray that you would just show your power in the midst of us once again, Lord, as we give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen.
I'm glad he's here today. Let's give him a great hand. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to ask our ushers to come, and we're going to give unto the Lord. Let's ask the Lord's blessings over the offering today. Lord, we come before your presence. We're thankful, Lord, for all that you do. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us as we give an offering today, that you will take what we give, multiply it, use it. And, Lord, we're going to give you praise because we know that you can do more with a little than we would ever do with a lot. And, Lord, I love you and I praise you and I give you honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
just a matter of time do we see things turn around. It's just a matter of time. Look at somebody and say, it's just a matter of time do things turn around. Amen. Things are going to turn around. Praise the Lord. We have a, a special, and uh, the praise team's going to help Brother Dwayne. Brother Dwayne learned this song uh, for another event, and just learned it like just a couple days ago, and uh, did such an awesome job on it, and uh, he's going to sing that for us today. Listen to the words, praise and worship the Lord as the Spirit of the Lord begins to move. You just let him take control right now. Before we sing this song, I want to tell you, it's, I've said this before, but it's hard to sing a song, Brother Keith, when it's your testimony. Amen. And I heard this song. Me and my wife were uh, meeting up, and I had to work, and I had to work late. I was on my way to London, Kentucky, to hear some singing, and uh, Sister Sharon McKee sung this song. My wife kept calling me and said, are you coming? And it was pouring down the rain. But it had been raining in my life. It was a hard All time right. in my life. All right. And I was going through a lot, and I told my wife, I said, come hell or high water, I'm coming. Amen. I said, it's storming, and I can't make it on time. But Brother Keith, I said, I'll be there. Amen. And I'm not lifting anybody up. But when she sung this song, amen, the Lord began to pour out, amen, his grace, his mercy, amen. He began to pour it, Sister Joy, out upon my life. How many's ever felt the Lord just pour out over your head before, amen? Hallelujah. And at that time, Brother McKinney, it didn't matter what was going on in my life. Brother Caleb, it didn't matter about the hard times that I'd been through that day or that week, amen. All I was focused on. All I was focusing on was him. I'm going to tell you, it don't matter what you've been going through. It don't matter how the world's been coming. Your family may be coming against you. Amen. Your friends may have turned their back. Amen. But just hold on. Amen. Hold to that unchanging hand. If y'all know this, sing it with me. You ask me how it is that I'm still standing. You wonder how I made it through this storm. Oh, but I can boast of any special powers. There's no secrets. I just held on. And I can tell 
that things are finally happening. See, I've got blessings that I call my own. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, many times I wondered if I would make it. Oh, but while I wondered, I just kept holding on. And I held on till the storm was over. See, I don't claim to be a hero. And I don't have all the answers. But I held on till the storm was over. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm great. Not because I'm strong. But I held on. You just got to keep holding on. Hallelujah. You may ask me how it is that I'm still standing. And you wonder how I made it through this storm. Hallelujah. Oh, but I can't boast of any special power. See, it's all in Jesus. There's no secret. Oh, I just held on. And I held on. The storm was over. Oh, I don't claim to be a hero. And I don't have all the answers. But I held on till the storm was over. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm great. Not because I'm strong. But I held on. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. I like this second part because it shows a change in amen. It shows a change in the atmosphere. You see, when we hold on to Jesus, Sister Nicole, there becomes a change, amen. When we just keep praying and it makes no sense, amen. Sister Lakin, amen, there becomes a change in our lives, amen. That's why we keep holding on. And I can tell that things are finally happening. You see, I've got blessings that I call my own. Oh, but many times I wondered if I would make it. Oh, while I wondered, I kept holding on. And I held on till the storm was over. I don't claim to be a hero And I don't have all the answers But I held on Till the storm was over Not because I'm good Not because I'm great Not because I'm strong But I held on Till the storm was over Hallelujah See, I don't claim to be a hero, and I don't have all the answers, but I held on till the storm was over. Not because I'm good, not because I'm great, not because I'm strong, but I held on. 
Not because I'm good, not because I'm great, not because I'm strong. I just held on. Thank you, Sometimes we just got to hold on. watching a uh, plane crash years and years ago that crashed in the Potomac River. There was a woman there that they saw it was icy waters. It was terrible conditions, snowy, cold. Many perished, but those that kept coming up out of the plane in the water. It was so cold that they had trouble simply trying to flap their arms or legs to swim. It was so cold. Helicopters had rushed in. They had thrown life preservers. Some had got a hold of them and was taken to shore. This one woman she tried to grab a hold of the life preserver. And she put it around and they thought, okay, we got her. We're, we're bringing her in now. And they took her just a little way and her arm fell off because she was so weak, dazed in a plane crash. She went back into the icy waters. They, they went and they threw it again and she got a hold of it. And it just seemed like it was just maybe a foot or two and it just slipped away again. Some guy that was standing on the banks of this icy Potomac River decided, I'm not waiting on somebody with several attempts to try to get this person. I'm going in after her. And he dove in that icy waters and began to swim out to where she was. Got her and brought her to shore. And she is alive as far as I know today. Because somebody said, I'm not going to just stand by and let people perish that's around me. I thought about that and I thought how... How many times we come to the house of the Lord and we've got to have the same mind. There might be attempts to have someone saved. There might be revival services and they almost came to the altar. There was times that they almost gave their life to the Lord but they kept slipping back away. And somebody says, I'll dive in. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ he did it all so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. He not only dove in, he let his blood be shed so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And I don't know your status with the Lord here today. But I do know one thing. I want to know that there's somebody in the house uh, that's willing to say, I'm not going to stand around and let people perish around me. I'm going to try my best to get them to an altar today. song just held on till the storm was over sometimes you just gotta hold on amen if you have your Bibles I want you to uh, turn to Matthew 
Matthew chapter 21, verse number 12. Matthew 21, verse number 12. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today on this Sunday. And... Uh, Going to be some things happen after service that you want, may want to stick around and be a part of. So if you want to do that, just stick around. Go in the dining room. They'll, they'll show you where you need to be and all of those things. So uh, just uh, hang on. <laughs> Matthew 21, verse number 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And I want to focus on the money changers' tables being overthrown, their seats being overthrown, the money changers' tables overthrown. Money is flying everywhere. There is sacrifices flying Literally everywhere. They were selling doves and they were saying, you know, we're doing it for the Lord. So it has to be okay as long as we're doing it for the Lord. But the Lord came in and cast all of them that sold and bought in the temple out and overthrew, overthrew the tables of the money changers. I just want to talk to us today and this might sound like a maybe a disconnected title, but I want to talk to you about broken but not beyond repair broken but not beyond repair let's go to the Lord in prayer Lord we come before your presence and we thank you we give you honor Lord you're so good to us you've done so much for us Lord you have put our lives back together we have been broken we have been shattered we were people that were lost and undone we needed a savior and you came to us we needed help and you came to us we needed rescued and you threw us a life preserver Lord I thank you for the shedding of your blood I thank you Lord for all that you've done for me and Lord bless these precious people that they may all receive something today realizing that even even though they may feel broken, even though they may feel like their life is falling apart, it is not beyond repair. And Lord, I'm going to give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a mighty hand clap. Could somebody shout Jesus? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you may be seated. Most of us at some point in our life has broken something. I mentioned uh, the other day, uh, Wednesday I think it was, when I put my daddy's mining cap on and uh, was trying to be cool in the back of a pickup truck and the hat blew off and the lens busted and it was beyond repair. It was broken, but, but also it was not, I should say, beyond repair because all he had to do was get another lens and put in and it was good to go. Sometimes we have things that we break. How many's ever broke anything? I mean, you, you went to the sink and you was getting ready to put a glass in and you dropped it and it broke. Maybe uh, you was one that uh, uh, just picked something up and was looking at it in a store. And you became that elephant in a china shop 
And you just broke it and hopefully you just didn't look around like, I didn't do that. Go down to aisle 11. <laughs> the juices are busted and, and it's just uh, jars are broken. When we come across broken things, a lot of times what we do with broken things is we just simply toss them out. We just simply throw them away. But you see, the Lord wants us to understand something about the broken. If it's not broken beyond repair, it can always be repaired. Doesn't matter if I break, and I've got this uh, little thing that I had, and, and I broke it, and I've got some, you know, Gorilla Glue. Gorilla Glue's the end thing now. Don't, don't buy that old, old stankin', what is that, uh, super glue. Get Gorilla Glue. I call it Griller Glue. It'll hold anything. And I put that together and I had all the pieces and I thought, man, this is looking good. It was shattered, but I've got it all back together. And then I got to looking and there was little chips missing, little pieces missing that I couldn't find and I couldn't put back on. And I looked at it and I thought, well, it was broken but now it's broken beyond repair because I don't have the ability to find these little slivers and these little things that maybe have flown in the carpet and no longer are visible and the vacuum cleaner will pick it up and all these things. So sometimes when we break things, it, to us it's beyond repair. We try to fix it ourselves. We try to get our life together. We try to say, I'm going to do better tomorrow. But we only find out that our lives that are broken is really broken beyond repair for us. But Jesus is the one that can put our lives back together. Amen? He designed us. We are intricately designed. We are so complex in our makeup. In fact, if you start even looking at just the brain, how much it processes, how much it sends through in just milliseconds of time that your brain will process things. It is something to think about all the blood vessels in your body, how they can take an artery out of your leg and put it in your heart and you can live for years longer. You might have been broken, but you wasn't broken beyond repair. There might have been things that maybe your arm got broke when you was younger and you fell and you broke it and the doctor looks at you and he don't say, well, we're going to amputate it. He puts it in a cast. If he has to put pins in it, he will. You may be broken, but not broken beyond repair. I believe that the Lord is trying to wake us up in this hour to let us know that our problems are not our tombs. Our problems are not what's going to bury us. Our problems are not what we need to focus on because we may be broken, but we're not broken beyond repair. I'd like to think that if we understand this, we understand that Jesus is the divine author. He begins to be a carpenter. Yes, he was, but he's more than a carpenter. He could build houses. He could build other stuff. He watched his daddy do it, and he was there helping. But I want you to know at 12 years old, he looked and said, I can't be building this. I've got to start doing 
doing something else. And he began to astound the very priests of the day. A young boy walking in telling them things that only the elders knew. And they were amazed by it. But I want you to know that Jesus realized this world was broken. It got broken in the Garden of Eden. It got broken when Satan deceived Adam. It got broken when Adam and Eve decided they're going to go the way of sin for a moment rather than to resist. They got kicked out of the garden and the garden become broken and Adam and Eve become broken. But God said you may be broken but I'm not going to leave you in a place where you're beyond repair. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to have a plan. Aren't you glad that God's got a plan? I'm glad he's got a plan. I'm glad he's got a plan. His plan is if I repent and get baptized in Jesus' name, get filled with the Holy Ghost, then I am whole again. How many knows that Job was broken? Job was broken. He lost his family. He lost his cattle. He lost his stuff. He went bankrupt in a moment. He lost everything. And there he sat in sores. And all he had was a piece of broken pottery. Never forget that. Broken pottery. Scraping himself with it. To try to get a real a little relief. I want you to know that Job was taking what was broken, trying to fix the broken. But you can't take the broken and try to fix the broken. You can't take people that's depressed and fix people that's depressed. You can't take people that are drowning and help them and tell them to save someone drowning. It's simply not going to happen. But Job faced all of this loss and brokenness. He was in tears. He was in pain. He was broken. And he took a broken piece of pottery and would scrape himself with it. How do you know? Because there would be no need to pick up a jug and try to scrape yourself. He's trying to scrape scabs off of him. You know how it is. You get a little scratch and it scabs over and the first thing you do is... That's what Job was doing. He was trying to get some relief. Taking the broken, scraping the broken, only ends in the broken. His life was broken. His family was broken. Everything around him was broken. But he said, I am not going to be broken beyond repair. I'd like to help some of you today who are broken. And I know some of you are. But I want you to know you're not broken beyond repair. You may feel like it. It may seem like it. But you're not broken beyond repair. You may be broken, but you're not broken beyond repair. Job sat there in all of his 
his misery and brokenness, uh, and he simply said, I'm going to give God glory anyway. I'm going to praise him anyway. Should I give God praise or should I just curse God and die? He said, no. He ripped his mantle. He shaved his head and ripped his mantle. He fell on his face and he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was broken, but not broken beyond repair. I think that sometimes we need to understand that when we feel brokenness, all of us have. Some of us have lost loved ones very dear to us. And some of us have gone through situations ourselves that we were broken and we were hurt and we were battered. And it just seemed like life wasn't getting any better. It's only getting worse. And, and when you're broken in that manner, it's easy to want to try to get the broken to come help the broken. I got a friend that went through this. Maybe they can help me. I got, uh, you know, somebody I can talk to. Maybe they'll give me advice. Uh, I, I, maybe I just need somebody else that's, that knows what I'm going through to help me. No, I'm going to direct you to the one, the only one, the one that is above everything, the one that is able to heal every disease, the one that is able to mend the brokenhearted. I want you to know your heart may be broken. They ain't no surgeon. They ain't no uh, cardiologist. They ain't nobody going to heal your broken heart. No relationship. Nothing is going to take the place of that broken heart until you let Jesus mend your broken heart. He said he'd come to mend the broken. Heal the broken. You see, Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross and then just go back up into heaven and amaze people as they stood there and watched, dumbfounded. And, uh, you know, the angel even called them doing that and said, why you stand here gazing? That's East Kentucky uh, vernacular would be, why you stand here gawking? Right? What are you doing just standing around looking? We didn't come to church to be spectators. We come to church to be participators. If you're broken today, I want you to know your brokenness is not your finality. It has just happened to you so that you can know that there is one. That when everybody gives up on you, when everybody says you can't be saved, when everybody says you'll be nothing, when everybody says that you won't amount to a hill of beans, when everybody looks at you and says there's nothing good going to happen, you just say, time out. I may be broken, but I'm not broken beyond repair. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy dreams. You had a dream, you know. Martin Luther King had a dream. We know that marriage is a dream. Everybody wants to meet the Prince Charming young ladies. (laughs) Well, you're going to find out there ain't no Prince Charmings out there. They're all broken. We're all broken. Ah, if I can find my, you know, if I can simply find my, my, my helpmate. I don't know who calls me this time of day.
throw that in the office. <laughs> Broken, I hope not beyond repair. Job faced loss and destruction. The devil's desire, the thief's desire is to break your dreams. Everybody has dreams. We all dream of meeting the right person. We dream of meeting the right person, living the right life, having the right cat, the right dog. Right? And live as the old Sacred writings go happily ever after. <laughs> but you know what? Life is real. Life is real. It gets real real quick. It gets so real that you'll be on your honeymoon one day and next thing you know you're in the doghouse. Come on now. Don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all still in the doghouse. Broken. We're all broken. We're broken vessels. We're broken relationships. We don't know how to do anything right because we're broken. Adam and Eve got broken. It broke the relationship that man had with God. And once that relationship is broken, there's only one way to get it back. And the only way that it can be broken beyond repair is if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You blaspheme the Holy Ghost, you're broken beyond repair. I don't care how many Humpty Dumpties and King's Horses and all the King's men try to put you back together again. It ain't happening. You can attend church the rest of your days. You can go to the altar every time you come. You can pray. You can sing in the choir. You can do instruments. You can do everything. But if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, you're broken beyond repair. That's why you better never call anything of God evil. Don't look at somebody that's loving God and say they're evil. Don't look at something God does and say that's evil. Don't ever look and say that's not of God. You don't know if it's of God or not. God used a donkey. I'm sure some would have said, no, God in our day won't use no donkey. He used a donkey. He used other things. He let people come before him that wasn't even supposed to get near him. Lepers came and bowed before for him because they were broken but when Jesus began to speak to them they were not broken beyond repair some of us have got to get our praise back because your praise is broken it ain't what it used to be it ain't what it was 10 years ago you're saying to yourself preacher you're preaching to me it's not what it used to be you're broken but not broken beyond repair lift your hands right now and everybody begin to worship Woo. You say, Pastor, I remember when I first got in church, I had so much joy. I wanted to go to church. Now it's a drudge. It's a, I dread it. I just dread it. I'd rather sleep in on Sunday than come to the house of God. Are you going to preach the same old messages and the choir's going to sing the same old songs and I see the same old faces and all of that. So I'm broken, but I'm going to tell you, if that's you, you are not broken beyond repair. The Lord wants 
wants to restore your joy. He wants to restore your happiness. He wants to restore. Come on now. Anybody got a praise on their lips? Anybody got a praise on their lips? Come on. You can shout in front of your wife. You can shout in front of your husband. You can shout in front of your boyfriend, girlfriend, kids. It don't matter. We got to get fixed. Woo. Uh, broken. Sister Lake and Brother Eli, I know you're broken. Ain't nothing no more in your heart right now than you all want a family. And it ain't happened yet. Yet. Everybody say yet. Yet. Everybody say it might be broken. But not beyond repair. God's got a perfect time, a perfect. He's got a perfect. There was one scripture began to tell us our littleness. And it was, it was in such a frame of scripture of something like this. Uh, who was my counselor when I spoke the worlds into existence? Who told me to do this? I'm putting it in my own words. The Lord was actually saying, there's nobody tells me anything. I can fix anything And if I can't fix it, I'll create it. Oh, man, that was a time we should have done flip-flops over the pews and somebody should have been picking us up out of the floor. If he can't fix it, he'll create it. I'm going to help us. No, Pastor. It's just the way life is. I've just come to conclude This is the way life's going to be. You're broken, but not beyond repair. If the Lord can say in Genesis 1 and 1, when it says that he said and began to talk, and his words began to put things out there. In the beginning, God, what? Don't that sound good? And why do we think in 2024 that somehow God don't create no more? See, our faith is down here. Oh, I believe Genesis 1 and 1 and John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, Word with God, and Word was God. Same as in the beginning with God. All things were made, and not anything that was made was made without Him, right? We all understand that scripture. We all understand what it's saying. He's it. In Genesis, he's Jehovah. In John, he's Jesus. Oh, I wish I had a little help in this house. I wish I had a little.
little help in this house because somebody needs to know that the same God of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New. And the Jesus of the New is the same God that dwells in me and you. Pastor, do you ever get broken? Absolutely. It breaks my heart. My heart got broken last night. Nothing Sister McKinney did. Nothing Perry Mason did. Perry Mason, no. I heard the news of somebody that was raised in an apostolic church all of a sudden decided to go somewhere else with a whole different belief. And my heart just broke. Because I knew the mama, I knew the grandparents, I know the brothers and sisters. It broke my heart. Pastors, your heart ever get broke? Every time somebody leaves this church. Pastors, your heart ever get broke? Every time I see people giving up on their dreams. Pastor, you ever get a broken heart? Every time I see people decide sitting on a pew is the normal thing to do in church. Now, I know some of y'all have back problems. I got them too. I'm getting ready to get me a stool up here. I get down, can't get back up. But I want you to know something. We're broken, but not beyond repair. The Lord... The Lord looked at them and the ten lepers were broken but not beyond repair because he sent all ten of them away whole. And one of them come back and said, I just got to worship you. I just got to fall before you. You see, when you're broken and you feel like it's broken beyond repair, because remember, leprosy was a death sentence. It's like getting pancreatic cancer or lung cancer. It's a death sentence. We all know that. But you know what leprosy was like that. But when you go to Jesus, it don't have to be. Jesus took what they looked at as being unfixable, unrepairable. I might as well accept unclean, unclean, and never go see my family again. Some of us have accepted that our family's going to be lost. I want you to reverse that right now. And I want you to say, my family's going to be saved. Come on, I want you to say it. My family's going to be saved. How can you say that? Because I know the fixer. I know the creator. I know the savior. It's not his will that any should perish. It's not his will that we stay broken. He wants to fix us. Now, I can fix a lot of things. My wife, my daughter, my grandkids. I mean, it goes from generation to generation. They say, call Papa. If it can be fixed, he'll fix it. I mean, I take stuff apart I ain't never seen. I ain't got no instruction. I learned to Google some stuff, though. But I take vacuum cleaners apart that I ain't never took apart, and I fix them. I take other stuff apart. And I fix them. And you know what? I had something I tried to fix one time and couldn't. And you know what I did? I just picked up all the parts, went to the garbage. 
I deemed it unfixable. It was broken beyond repair in my eyes. I'm sure some technician somewhere would have put that weed eater back together and it would have run like a brand new one. But you see, sometimes we know the fixers. Brother Larry, fix it. We ain't, a breaker knocked up here at, 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 at your house. And Sister Racine's freezing now because it's wintertime. Uh, Larry? She knows I'm telling the truth. Larry? See what, what's going on with this heat? And he goes down, he checks it out, and he fixes it, right? He's a fixer, isn't he, Racine? He's a fixer. He's a fixer. He's a good fixer. Amen. I, I call him sometimes, and he fixes stuff around here. I don't ever have to worry about it. He's a fixer. Some people are just fixers. Some people, <laughs> they're destroyers. I remember, I'm just going to tell you a little thing about my daddy. All you from Pearls Creek knew him. I'm going to tell you a little something about my daddy. I'd, when I was growing up, I'd, I, liked, I was like every little other, other little kid. You know what little kids like to do? Flip light switches. I've called I don't know how many down back here flipping light switches. And I told them the same exact thing my daddy told me. It's just got so many times to work. Right? Then you're going to flip it and it won't work. I put self-coming-on automatic light switches in the bathroom. And I still get calls, bathroom light ain't working right. Don't touch the switches. Only for your children. Yeah, that didn't get too many laughs. You ought to get your switches back out. Guarantee your kids wouldn't grow up talking back to you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> broken. There's many times I thought my heart was broken beyond repair. When I lost my mother, 12 years old, I thought, there's no way I'm going to get over this. I can't get through this. I'm broken beyond repair. But you know what? The Lord was dealing with me even as a 12-year-old boy. You've got something you can lean on that's going to get you through this. I've learned from that great loss in my life to deal with losses today because losses today don't devastate me do some people look at it as you don't care we got a runner some people look at it as you don't care right because you're not crying you're not you're not laying on your bed david for 3 days you're not doing that, David. You're not, you're not. What's wrong? Now you're up eating and all that. Well, what's the use laying there? I can't fix some things. It was broken beyond his capabilities. So he got up and he said, well, I'm just going to go on now. I got to keep on going on. So I learned at losing my mother when I was 12 years old, and she is only 42 years old, I learn to deal with loss. Not that I'm hard-hearted, but you'll see me at times go through the loss of something that happens in my family or situations around me 
that I still get up here with a smile and preach to you and talk to you because I know that what's broken is not broken beyond repair. It's only when it gets beyond repair that it ought to devastate us. It's why when our families may be backslid right now, we've got to say they're not broken beyond repair. We can get them back to the house of God. We can get them to an altar. We need to get our families saved. We need to get our loved ones in because Jesus is coming. I want to close with some things because I want you to know God's house is a house for broken people. God's house is a house for broken people. When our lives are broken, this altar's a repair shop. Holy Ghost begins to surround you. Next thing you know, screws that are loose start tightening up. Things that have fallen apart start coming back together. If we could see spiritually, and I really mean this, if we could see with the spiritual eye, when the broken come to this altar, we would actually see things start popping back in place. And they would rise up from this altar whole, complete, I don't know what's broken in your life. I, I really don't. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what's broken. You may be broken in your dedication. You may be sporadic in your coming to church. You may be broken in your joy. I'm only happy at certain times. I got joy when we have revival or when I get it my way or whatever. Some people's only happy if they get a new vehicle, new living room suit, new television, new this, new that. Next thing you know, they're all happy, but that grows old and the happiness fades. I want to invite you to a place of happiness, a place of happiness that never fades. I'm going to invite you to a place of joy that never stops. I'm going to invite you to a place. And where is that place? It's right here at this altar. So whatever is broken in your life, it could be you, your wife, your family, your friends, your loved ones, your joy, your dedication, all the things that we could look at. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But somebody here today just simply feels broken. Holy Ghost just spoke to my heart before I ever preached this message. You're preaching to broken people. You have to be careful with broken people. I've been pastoring for 26 years and I'm still learning how to pastor. Because sometimes broken things, parts fly far away and you have to be patient to find every little piece. A little screw may fly plumb across the room and you have to keep searching and searching and searching because that person needs that to be complete. We're broken, but not beyond repair.
Jesus loves you. Just hold on. Just hold on. Help is on its way. You at this altar, I want you to know help is right here. It's on its way. Right now, you're getting ready to feel the power of God move all around you because now He's, he's starting to work on you. As they sing, broken. Turkey. 